Welcome to Hooked on Bond, where three long-time fans discuss the James Bond films. Welcome to episode 9, The Man with the Golden Gun from 1974, starring Roger Moore as James Bond. This is Brian. And this is Edmund. And Gary. So we are now at Roger Moore's second film. He is, I think, starting to settle into the role. Edmund, why don't you give us a bit of a plot synopsis here? Sure. Um, this, uh, for this one, um, we have uh, I actually consider it a bit a bit of pace. There is, uh, you know, we have the, the title character, the man with the golden gun, who is this famous assassin um, who uh, charges a, a million a shot in uh, pre Austin Powers days. And uh, and yeah, a lot of the movie is is basically revolving around uh, essentially his, his his desire to kind of prove himself to be uh, the the top the top gun in the world. I mean, the, at the very beginning, we have him uh, sort of having uh, one of his exercise sessions, uh, taking off, paying out. Uh, Taking out a mob hitman in his uh, his uh, exotic hideaway, and uh, and we uh, we have uh, cutting to our standard MI6 briefing where uh, Bond is called in. He's called off of his current assignment, uh, trying to uh, locate a solar energy expert, and uh, because Karananga uh, has sent a bullet with his double on it uh, to MI6, so they assume that uh, he is gunning for him and it would be better for the mission to uh, have Bond uh, go under wraps, um, unless, of course, uh, he should just uh, happen to uh, track Scaramanga down um, as uh, M pulls one of another of his little, you know, yes, yes, I'm putting you on leave, but, uh, you know, no, you, you might have something to do. And uh, and then we follow uh, Bond, uh, basically uh, tracking him down through uh, in many exotic locales as we, uh, we we shift away from that American focus of the last couple of films and uh, sort of get back to uh, Bond as the globetrotter. And uh, and uh, needless to say, he eventually does tra- tra- track Scaramanga down. Uh, after a few detours along the way, but uh, I, I think that will suffice for the, uh, the the plot summary before we get into the all, all the juicy details. Yes, agreed. So why don't we start looking at characters with Scaramanga, played by Christopher Lee? Mm-hmm. Clearly, a good, a great find here to have Christopher Lee play the villain. Um, Many would argue he's definitely he's more much more charismatic than Roger Moore as Bond. So, to some extent, he's the title character of the movie, and uh, he earns he earns the uh, he earns the bill because he's he's really very entertaining. He's droll, witty. He's got a lot of charm. But he's also a little bit he's also crazy, and he makes that very clear. Um, mm-hmm. But it's uh, it's an interesting character. Yes, the the chemistry between the two actors between Roger Moore and Christopher Lee. Uh, sort of gave you the life of this film, you know, that dichotomy and Scaramanga as the dark side of Bond, this sort of made this film and, you know, gave it uh, some, some real panache. Yeah, and they'd actually been friends since like the 40s, apparently. That's right, they had been. 
And my my understanding uh, is that the role of Scaramanga in the original book, the Ian Fleming book, was much less interesting and uh, not as complex a character. And he had so, sort of been developed into this dark side of Bond kind of character for the film. Yeah, although in Fleming's defense, it was released lo- sometime after he died, so... Yeah, this was the last one. This was the the posthumous book, right? Yeah, yeah. And the book actually opens with Bond coming back from from the dead, pretty much, as a brainwashed Soviet agent. And so he attempts to assassinate M, and once they've deprogrammed him, he's deemed virtually useless, and all they can do is they send him out after Scaramanga, so he can either die an honorable death or... Should he, he happen to survive, uh, at least pull off a miracle, like, you know, get his reputation back. But uh, in the book, he sent out after Scaramanga in what is almost certainly described as a suicide mission. That's interesting. That's definitely a different take on it. Uh, I can see why they didn't want to go in that direction in the film. Well, I mean, at the very beginning, M does offer him the opportunity to resign. That's true. And it's a very interesting, like, really? It's that bad, the situation? These, these scenes with Bernard Lee as M dressing down Bond, whomever is playing Bond, I've been really enjoying those scenes as I've been coming back to rewatch these films again. Uh, they're... They're always entertaining, and Bernard Lee just brings that sense to it of Bond being both important and somewhat disposable at the same time. And those are, uh, are quite enjoyable. So another good one for Bernard Lee as M. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you you, you always get the sense that you know, yeah, you know, I mean, but Bond is the, the necessary evil. You know? <laughs> the guy he the guy he has to put up with, but he does, he does understand his uh, his his utility. Yeah, I mean, the opening line right off the bat, oh, not the opening line, but that early scene where Bond was like, "But who'd pay a million dollars to kill me?" <laughs> and M's got plenty of Ken's got plenty of suspects for that. Yeah, do you need a list? <laughs> In other characters, once we uh, are talking about villains, we should mention High Fat, played by Richard Liu. Yeah, I don't know if, if High Fat makes any kind of real uh, impact in this film. He never really threatens anybody. He never really does anything. He's... Uh, I mean, I, I consider Knickknack, the henchman, to be a far more interesting villain than High Fat. That's right. Uh, High Fat is almost there as the the concept of the the person with so much money that he can pull all the strings. Yeah. And the person who's there for Scaramanga to take over from. Yeah. Yeah, but he, you're right. He's the villain, but he, he, in a way, he's the master villain for a little while, but. It's it's such a minor bit role that I I even forget his presence in the film. Yeah, he's not a big presence in the film, but conceptually it's like he's sort of central to it. Yeah. But yeah, let's talk about uh uh Chez as Knickknack. Yeah, I mean uh, another like interesting henchman. They they liked casting different kind of actors, different sizes, different personalities. And uh, the midget is a figure of, like, mystery, potential menace, sort of an imp-like character. 
And I think he does it really well. He plays it for the most of the movie in a sinister, comic way. Um, his allegiances are never entirely clear. He appears loyal, but he does like keep getting people to potentially kill his boss, and who knows what happens when that happens. Well, I guess yeah. we see at the end of the movie, he is still pissed off at the end. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, 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 mean, I like the way they, they play that out, but, uh, you know, I always felt that that opening sequence is kind of establishing that, you know, yes, you know, that's his role is to, you know, get these people to think they're going after Scaramanga for him. But, you know, but yeah, but it, it, it's just it's just a training session and, uh, you know, for the uh, the the big duel to come at the end. And, uh, you know, not that, uh, you know, no, you know, Nick, Nick Knack, you know, will we'll get everything if, uh, you know, if they manage to get Scaramanga, but, uh, you know, he's just so so supremely confident that you know he, he's giving him free reign to get to whoever he likes, but he knows he's going he's going to take them all out. So. Scaramanga has this sort of funhouse, for lack of a better word, of all these sort of bizarre uh, um, mannequins and dummies and death traps and mirrors and things that he lures people into and it's like Scaramanga's way to stay sharp as a hitman almost <laughs> yeah it's one of the more interesting sets and I think as a kid I really enjoyed the idea of having your own fun house in your, on your private island <laughs> I certainly yeah. like I like the concept of that um, oh, yeah. but yeah they make a fun pair sort of a, a team of villains and they work well together yeah, they wanted to put, of course, the midget next to Christopher Lee, who is even taller than Roger Moore. You know, he's 6'4", six, 6'5", six, or something. So they have that, um, that pair of opposites that way as well. Yeah. Uh, Bond Girls, we should talk about Goodnight, played by Britt Eklund. Yeah, for the longest time, I really disliked Goodnight and Bert Eklund's performance. But in watching it again this most recent time, I mean, she's basically asked to play uh, a ditzy bimbo, and she does a decent job of it. I mean, she's really not given a lot of material to work with, and that's her only defining characteristic. That's right. Well, it was odd in that she was sort of supposed to be a spy, like yeah. a low-level spy. Yeah, he's an officer or something. Yeah. She was supposed to be competent, but she clearly wasn't. Yeah. There were a couple points where she was almost competent, you know, when they were having dinner and she was dropping the hints to Bond and that sort of thing. But yeah, it's a bit of an odd character in that sort of... Yeah, supposed to be competent, but really not. Well, I think that the, the weird thing, I don't know how much this has to do with the screenwriters, but apparently Tom Mankiewicz worked on it. Then Richard Maybaum was hired to rewrite it again. Then and Tom then Mankiewicz, Mankiewicz came back, right? Back. And uh, the movie has definite tonal shift. The first uh, 45 minutes is Bond sort of pursuing Scaramanga, lead following the leads, and each scene is a is, is sort of there's some danger and suspense. And there's some good witty one-liners in both cases with the, the belly dancer scene as a, a good physical fight. And then there's the moment with the gunsmith, which has also got some decent dialogue to it. And those are serious. But then, not long after we meet Goodnight, the movie takes a serious turn for the comic. It becomes, well, serious turn for the comic is a good line, I guess, but it becomes extremely silly. And everything about it turns silly, and, and I have to think that Goodnight's character is is meant to amp up one aspect of the silliness. 
I guess. But then it was like once you had uh, Bond and Scaramanga on the on the island together and some of that stuff, it in certain ways turned back towards the serious a little bit. A little bit, just a little bit. Not it, not it a lot. It became more of a blend. But yeah, you you had a serious element of you know the two the two men being being alike and yet not alike and this sort of strange conflict between them so there is that sort of serious element mixed in with the lighter stuff with the mm-hmm. uh, good night and knickknack and so on yeah but, but yeah. throughout that scene lee plays it very drolly up till the very near the end so it, it, there's no menace even it's more like it's it's almost a, a, a not a farce, but it's sort of like a, a I don't know. It's just very it's light. It's very light humored. It is absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I even find even just with with Goodnight that it, it it's you know, there's a, there's a shift with her where it starts off. I mean, that whole thing at the very beginning when you know, no, he says you know that 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 green green Rolls Royce and you know, and she immediately knows. Oh, that means it's this hotel, and you know, and that, and you know, and then even you know when she's you know sort of just you know but you know playing hard to get it's like you know up, up to that point it's like you know no this you know is, all, is almost making sense is you know no no she's the, the local you know the local agent the local liaison and then it's sort of you know from that point you know then when she you know shows up and you know is fall into bed with them and then has to be shoved up into the closet where the whole the whole character just takes this 180 degree turn <laughs> so and you know, then we sort of get into farce territory with the the one girl in the closet and what have you and yeah. then she gets locked in the boot of a car, and then yeah, it, it, yeah it's then, very yeah. silly. And let's not forget the valuable uh, performance by her ass towards the end of the movie, yeah. where exactly. she activates the laser and it nearly yeah. kills Bond. Yeah. Yeah, and you know what? You know what's funny? That scene. I was watching it, and I noticed him readjust the control panel. Before yeah. he climbs down, I actually noticed that. And in reading right. another review afterwards, that one of the the guys commented like. And the only reason he does move this panel is so that she can activate it later with her butt. Yes. And so yes. like what clumsy staging that was that, you know, Moore actually had to move the control panel mm-hmm. closer. So was that the original butt dial? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. That was cell phones that started out with a massive laser. Maybe. Oh, yeah. It's uh it's not the greatest of performances. Uh Maud Adams is a more interesting character for sure. Uh, oh, as uh, as Andrea Anders, the mistress of uh of Scaramanga, the virtual prisoner. Yes, and that is um uh an interesting performance and there's some there is some story tied to to her character as well, which is nice. And that you know, she reveals some information about Bond being there and about, uh, well, she wants Bond to get rid of Scaramanga. Yeah, it turns out she's, she's orchestrated the entire plot. I mean, the, that's right. It was sent by her. So she's actually seeking out Bond to free her from Scaramanga. Though she doesn't tell him this once he arrives. She kind of seems to want to be able to trick him into doing it without knowing he's been tricked. Right. It's only later when yeah, it, yeah, she, when yeah, it yeah. doesn't work the first time that yeah the the darker plot lines were the ones that were tied to her, you know the plot lines that are sort of um, Bond, Andrea, Scaramanga, 
those are that's sort of the the darker things about um uh if you know her being uh being uh Scaramanga's lover under strange circumstances and uh, you know and ending up uh well ending up badly for her but that sort of line of things are the darker plot lines where the the sort of goofier and more uh, lighthearted and sillier things are the ones with good night and knickknack and that sort of grouping of things and dare i mention him sheriff jw pepper Clifton James reprising his role from the previous film, and what, what apparently he was a very popular character. And, and the funniest part for me is that while I found him to be like a, a racist stereotype in the first movie, here as the fish out of water and sort of the callback joke, he's like an added element of the total silliness of it. Like as the movie yeah, tries yeah. to become sillier and sillier and take itself less and less seriously, the presence of J.W. Pepper actually works in its favor to help accomplish that. And so I actually like. I don't his, know if I go quite that far. I like his presence here in this film, whereas in the previous one I didn't. Even though here he's completely ridiculous, um, I think his presence is important, and I think. Having someone in the car with Bond during the, the car chase sequence is essential to the enjoyment. I will, I, will, uh, I, I will give you that. I just still wish it might have been somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> there is a long tradition of British films showing Americans in a very poor light and Americans showing Brit, the Brits in a very poor light. And unfortunately, <laughs> this carried that on very well. In the in the guise of J.W. Pepper. Well, they used him in two completely different sequences also, which was, uh, they overused him for sure. But I guess they had to establish, they had to establish that he was already in Bangkok. Otherwise, mm. the, his second appearance wouldn't have made any more sense. Although, as one guy wrote, why the hell is he taking an AMC test drive in Bangkok? Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's the last place. product placement. I mean, yeah, that, that, that's one thing about the films of this era. It's like, you know, yeah, going from the Aston Martin down to, you know, the Bond having to having to uh, just purloin an AMC for chase. Although the reason for the AMC was because it was the car that could do that stunt. Right. That stunt yeah. had been performed at the AMCs. And so when they realized they were going to use the same people that had done it, they needed the AMC cars. Okay. Right. That, okay. That was the that was the the jump they had the famous jump. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, the, the the jump with the three sixty degree barrel roll. And it is insane to watch that jump. Yes. Oh, absolutely, absolutely insane. And, and again, even though yes, all the all the people are right, they put a slide whistle over that jump sequence, which definitely detracts from the seriousness of it. Uh, it's still such an amazing sequence. Apparently, oh, when they when they shot it, this was something that I'm not sure if it had been done exactly like that before. It was not over it, water. Yeah, it was something that um, was considered a very difficult thing to do, and was done. Uh, you know, purely as a practical effect, as these these films were were known for. You know, they're uh, it was uh, not done with any post production or model work, and 
when they did the the actual jump, uh, one of the producers or the director, I've forgotten who it was now, at first said, we have to do it again because that one looked too perfect. It was Hamilton, apparently. It was, yeah. the direct, it was the director, at least on the documentary. They said it was Guy Hamilton himself who wanted to do it again. <laughs> and they told him he was crazy. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> we nailed it. it, it it's a 10. We're moving on. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And it almost, I suspect that may have been the reason that they did the thing with the slide whistle and making it a little bit comic because right and they slowed it down that, as well they slow it down it's it's, it's in slow right speed. yeah because if it, if it just if you just shoot it in real time it's so fast and it's over so quickly you don't feel you don't you haven't got to really see it yeah right yeah, yeah. and it's smooth enough that it doesn't have the uh, i guess the the kind of impact they might want to have um in some ways but it did look very good but I gotta say, the when it when they land, the infectious laughter of J.W. Pepper as he enjoys it is fun. <laughs> okay, all right, it's, it's I'll go with that. Good moment because he's like he's like giddy with laughter after that actually works, and he's yeah. like he's falling into the back seat, and he it, it's a funny scene. It works well, I think. Yes, it yes it does. <laughs> yeah, it was a cool um, action, you know, stunt work set piece, set piece to have in there. Um, and that sort of uh, sort of worked very well. Um, speaking of set pieces, we had uh, a flying car in this. Yes, indeed. Um, and it was the it was the villains using a flying car. So in some ways, the villains had the gadgets in this one. Yep. Um, but yeah, a vehicle that. Uh, went into uh went into this shed and they were able to then uh, put on this wing assembly and have it uh have it take off and av- and uh evade evade bond and the others and of course uh you have um the uh the slapstick comedy of JW Pepper and then the equally slapstick comedy of Goodnight uh, breaking out of the trunk of a car that happens to be in midair. <laughs> yeah. And she hasn't realized yet that they're actually flying. Yeah, she thinks yeah. they've stopped. <laughs> they, yeah, yeah. That, uh, anyway. <laughs> that, that, that whole sequence. <laughs> you know, much as I love Christopher Lee and the, and the interactions with Bond in this, I mean, that, that, that whole thing of her getting the Solex... And then decide, just deciding to follow Knickknack, and you know, and then you know and that that whole that whole sequence of her getting tossed into the trunk just is one of the things that uh, is it, that, uh, about this movie that I, I it's probably my my least favorite. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if the Bond films really need a buffoon character, and this one had two. Yeah, yeah. Oh, but yeah, but beyond that, scenes were still very silly. Uh, Lieutenant Hip is more of a comedy character than anybody else, than, than mm-hmm. many other assistants. I mean, the the fight sequence with the teenage girl kung fu experts, or <laughs> or were they, was it karate? It's unclear. I mean, they were in Thailand at a dojo doing taekwondo with karate. I, 
It was all screwy. <laughs> there was no sense of it. It was like, yeah, it's all Asian. No one will notice the difference. Yeah, yeah well. <laughs> but uh, that's a silly scene. Then they rescue Bond, and then they drive off without him. <laughs> like, yeah, like yeah, right. Silly. And then he gets in the boat chase. I did like the little scene with the little boy in the boat where the he just like he, he welches on his deal with the little boy. I thought that was pretty funny. Um, yeah, the the yeah the urchin boy who was swimming from boat to boat trying to sell elephants. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, we, we, yeah we, we, which of course Mrs. Pepper did buy, but uh, yep. yeah, but but yeah, that that whole dojo scene, I mean, I feel like you know we're with uh, you know with, when we were talking about live and let die, I mean they were, you know they're trying to cash in on all the black exploitation and and chaff and all that, and with this it was like you know well well Enter the Dragon was really successful. So, <laughs> exactly, you know, yeah. it was pretty uh, naked let, and obvious have, what they were yeah. going for there. Yeah, let, let's have a scene like that. <laughs> yeah, Are yeah, you? there was some of that. I think for me, the strengths of this film were not the comic parts as much as they were the the interactions between uh, Bond and Scaramanga, and also the sort of opening sequence of uh, Bond traveling around the world looking for Scaramanga. And I think yeah. that sort of set the tone a little bit for you know, Bond sort of going off and investigating and going all over the place, not just, you know, there's the one place we're going to for this film, but going, you know, from place to place to place all over the world to pursue, you know, what uh, what is at hand. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, the, I, comedy I like... is, the comedy is obviously a weak, it's still a weak element, but I think when I first saw this movie, there were maybe only 10 Bond movies, and this just stands out as, as, as weak. But after all the Bond movies we've seen now, after 23 movies, it's actually nice that one of them tries to be a silly comedy. It's like, now you can look back and say, oh, that was good. One was exploitation. one was 70s sex farce, one was... Like uh, different kinds of films, and that Man with the Golden Gun actually stands out in its own way. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Par- partially fail. I mean, still a partial failure, but um, it-, it stands out at least. Yeah. And I, I, one thing we we haven't mentioned was uh, I think Bond's major gadget in this film. His only gadget, actually. His, o- his only gadget. Yeah. Was a prosthetic nipple. <laughs> <laughs> yes, used in one scene with the uh, aptly titled "Chew Me." Yeah, right. <laughs> I'd forgotten. I'd completely forgotten about her. But that's where uh, Austin Powers obviously gets some of his uh, girls' names from. Right. Yeah. Yes. the The theme for that was that there was the part of the legend around Scaramanga. He was known to have a third nipple. So Bond briefly goes undercover as Scaramanga uh, using prosthetic extra nipple. But not before yeah. making a lot of puns about mam- uh, tits and various other things. Yeah. Of course, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm not sure whether uh, that was in the book, but I, I know that Fleming usually had his villains be deformed in some way. It was like uh, the deformity led to a lot of the psychosis or whatever that made them villains. So it, it's very possible that was from his book, too. That may be. I did find it interesting that Scaramanga was this guy who, 
uh, you know, none of the, you know, the British or the Americans, no one knew what he looked like. They didn't know where he was. They knew nothing about him except they had his fingerprints and they knew that he had a third nipple. <laughs> Which just seemed like an odd combination of things to know about this guy. True. <laughs> it's very true. Uh, yeah, well, that, well, of course, there's a bit of irony in terms of, you know, yes, Bond thinks he's going undercover, but then it's sort of, you know, that, at the end of that scene, it's immediately revealed that, you know, no, the real Scaramanga is, you know, is there and already in league with High Fat. So, you know, yeah, High you know, Fat was perfectly aware that it, it wasn't yeah. him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, but, uh, but but yeah, I mean, uh, and uh, one thing I do want to mention is, uh, you know, we, we we this this film also continues this sort of thing of the uh, getting M out of the office, I and mean, you know, it's uh, you know, Evan going up in Bond's apartment in Moore's first film, and then in, in this one, um, you know, I actually I actually I've always really really liked that whole sequence of. Uh, after uh, Scaramanga, you know, takes out the solar scientist, who was his actual target, as it turns out, um, Bond getting whisked away by this mysterious Asian man and uh, taken out to the Queen Elizabeth wreck that we'd been uh, that had been pointed out to us earlier, and uh, that uh, that rather wonderfully slanted and uh, disorienting set that they built for. Uh, M, 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 M's office in Hong Kong. <laughs> yes, I did very much like the the sets inside the uh, the Queen Elizabeth that were tilted to thirty degrees or something. So you have this extremely disoriented, odd angled uh, office and other rooms. And yeah, that was uh, that was really nice. I enjoyed that. Although I gotta say, having everything on an angle might have sort of set M off because he's really in a bad mood after that. <laughs> I mean, and just playing up the comedy aspects of it. In this one, basically everyone around them is incompetent. And these guys are even Bond and Hip are not entirely competent at times. So, um, like, M is constantly getting upset. Like, like, where's the Solex device? You lost it? You lost it yeah. again? <laughs> How did yeah. you lose it again? And, and in the yeah. second scene, he's got, he gets to tell Q to shut up twice. And I forgot how yeah. funny that was. And that usually, he never would do that normally. But it's like, oh, shut up, Q. He, he does it twice, which is really, my point about the fact is that everybody in this movie is acting very silly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Bernard <laughs> Lee as M, I think, is at his best, whether it's serious or deadpan comedy, he's at his, at his best when he's, angry or annoyed or just has his feathers ruffled that you know he's just uh, you know irritable and that's you know he does that so well and gets so much out of that yeah yeah definitely <laughs> yeah no i mean that's that certainly with sort of the the, the shift in as more is taken over i mean i think that you know that's obviously one aspect they start playing up more and more and uh you know, Bernard Lee certainly certainly rises to the, the new challenge. Yes, absolutely. So let's start to wrap things up here. I will say, uh, for my final thoughts, this was one that, uh, in the past, I was never a big fan of this film. But I find that 
I did enjoy it more this time. It's not one of my favorites by a long shot, but it has some, uh, some good moments to it. I'm not a huge fan of the comedy, but some of it definitely is well played. I really enjoyed the Christopher Lee, Roger Moore dynamic. I liked the sort of opening investigation kinds of scenes. I liked Maude Adams as Andrea as well. So I'll say that this was a bit of a nice surprise for me, and it's, it's okay, it's not bad. Yeah, and for me, like I said, there are things in it that I like, uh, the comedy. There are a lot of things in it that make it some of the work, in, in many ways, very poor. Uh, the music's not that memorable. The song is not memorable. Um, there's just not, there's a lot of things sort of missing from the movie. The ending is very dry. Nothing happens. Like, the, we, did, we, we didn't even touch upon the Solex agitator, which may be the worst okay. MacGuffin in any Bond movie, and the whole energy crisis thing. So there's a lot of things going wrong. But, but what works are the locations. Uh, Phuket, Thailand is beautiful and beautifully shot. They, they pretty much made that famous. Prior to them getting there, no one was even using the site, really, and now it's a tourist nightmare, but uh, they were the ones that sort of brought it to the attention of the world, and the, the Bangkok locations are well used, and uh, like I said, I, I, the comedy makes it stand out. It makes it, uh, it gives it something unique about it that, that's a bit of a time capsule for the era, and of course, yeah, the Christopher Lee, Roger Moore dynamic is very good. To, to me, the co comedy parts of it are the parts that make that make it feel dated, and uh, not just, I mean, and for me, it's basically I mean, all of the elements of Christopher Lee in this movie. I mean, it's Christopher Lee and his interactions with Nick Nack, Christopher Lee and Maude Adams, and you know, we can really touch on it that directly, you know, you know, but I mean, that you know, that in terms of that, there's yes, there's comedy element, but that whole dark side of you know, yeah, Christopher Lee has her around because you know he needs to have the woman to make love to before he goes out and does the kill. Um, you know, it was all, you know, it was all very well played. I mean, both in terms of between Maude Adams, Christopher Lee, and then Maude Adams and, and Bond. And, uh, and, and, then, and, then, and of course, Christopher Lee and Roger Moore together. I mean, you know, it was, it was definitely, you know, it, it's, it's a highlight to me of Bond and the talking villain because this is the one film where it really makes sense, where, you know, no, that's the reason he brought him here is to, you know, yes, have dinner with him and converse with him and then kill him. <laughs> and, you know, and, you know, this is the one movie, you know, where that, you know, that whole thing, you, you know, you're not just sitting there going like, why is he telling him the whole plan? It's like, no, that is the plan. So it, that part really worked well for me and, the, you know, the, the comedy I could, uh, I could definitely leave behind. But, uh, but, but that, uh, that's the part that, uh, that, that still, still makes it enjoyable. Okay, very good. James Bond will return in The Spy Who Loved Me. This is Brian. Take care, folks. This is Edmund. We'll see you next time. And this is Gary. Uh, see you guys soon. Thank you for listening to Hooked on Bond. Find out more at hookedonbond.com or on Facebook. Hooked on Bond is broadcast on Device of Geeks Network at vognetwork.com. <laughs>